We're in 2 Kings chapter 17. We are looking at the fall of the northern tribes, Israel. And the last king that they will have. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before them. That's not something you always hear. <clears throat> so he was bad, but not as bad as the, the other folks. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hosea, Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Now the name Hosea means God is salvation. It is still amazing to me how many of these are named after something godly, and yet we have uh, ver uh, no kings who really fear God. Now a whole lot is skipped over here that uh, we just don't quite get a hold of from the from the scriptures that actually happened in this. Now back in Second uh, Kings chapter 15, uh, look particularly at verse 30. This is when Pekah had come down and he was uh, warring with Judah and secured some victories. Back, back when we were talking about how uh, evil sometimes wins over good. Then Hosea the son of Elah led a conspiracy against Pekah the son of Ramaliah and struck and killed him, so he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. What happened here is Pekah was in alliance with Syria and Judah had come into alliance with Assyria. Syria and Assyria are the two big powers. So when Assyria was hired by Judah, they went to war against, when Assyria was hired by Judah, they went to war against Syria and defeated Syria and Syria fell. They're gone. And Pekah was aligned with them. So what happened was, and this is totally not in the narrative, but this is how it all came about. Hosea uh, came up with an alliance with Assyria, the same one that Judah, the same king that Judah had an alliance with. And in that alliance, he agreed to do this conspiracy and to kill Pekah. In return for what he did, the king of Assyria, when he came in, he, uh, he put Hosea over the throne. And that was his reward for, for doing this. And so Hosea has a lot of allegiance to this particular king. But it's the same king that Judah had, had uh, piled up with, which was Tilgath Pileser. Now, after a while, Hosea is reigning there. He feels very good about this particular king. But he dies. And another king takes his place. And he doesn't feel so good about that one. That one is, is Shalmaneser, that's mentioned in Scripture there. He's Shalmaneser IV. Now, when he takes the throne, Hosea is not too sure about this particular Assyrian king. He had an allegiance with the one prior, not this one. And so he's trying to figure out, how can I get a rebellion to go against this? So he comes up with this plan to hire or to come into allegiance with the king down in Egypt, which is called here in the Bible, King So. This is... a uh, this king So is identified as Shabako. He's, he's the Ethiopian who had taken the throne of uh, Egypt at the time. <clears throat> so Shalemenser, he comes and he's not real happy that Hosea is not paying him tribute money. So he comes on down and makes war against Israel. 
Uh, let's, let's keep on going here in verse 5. We're going to uh, get ahead of ourselves here. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it. Well, I'm sorry, go back to the, go back to verse 4. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Some places have that um, just a little bit different on the Hebrew in that he blinded him. Put his eyes out and, uh, and put him in, in prison. Now, he goes to prison. We don't ever know what happens to him after that. Probably dies in prison, but we never really get anything more about Hosea after that particular time. Now, the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halath and by the Habor, the river of Gozen, and in the cities of the Medes. So what happens here is the war breaks out. Shalemanser, he comes down to make war with Hosea. And apparently, Hosea loses this battle very early on. He was hoping for help from Egypt. It didn't show up in time or didn't show up at all. And so he had to come out and battle himself. History does tell us that he tried to pay the tribute. And there was distrust now with Assyria and them. So he was, they weren't going to take it. They were going to come down and do battle. And so he came down to into the battle, and it seems that very early on in this in this skirmish, that Hosea was taken captive. He was taken over to Assyria. After that, they held, hold Assyria off for three years without a king. No other king is put on the throne. Israel has no king, and for three years they battle Assyria, who is the world power. And they battle them for three years, and they uh, for some of that time Samaria is under siege. And eventually it, it falls and they take them all and they bring them into captivity and they, they play. Because this is Assyria's way. When Assyria would conquer you, they wanted to make sure that you didn't rebel against them. And so what they did was it took, well, we'll put some of you over here and we'll put some of you over here and we'll put some of you over here. So every nation they conquered had a little bit of all the other nations in it. Therefore, there was no way they would all join together against Assyria. That was their thinking. And that's why they, they did it that way. Now, it says in the ninth year, it would seem from history that the ninth year is when Hosea fell in the war, beginning of the war, and that three years occurred after that. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm not uh, real up on all. I didn't try and nail all the points of history. But somewhere in there is, is when this happened. And it seems to be that for three years they went without a king. And there's actually some, recorded, uh, uh, some recordings in Assyria that actually back this up, that they had fought for three years. So they fought without a king and held off this world power. Verse 7. And so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the king of Israel, which they had made. So all the nations that were in there before, they began to worship some of their gods. Of course, they brought other gods in from other nations too and they just had all kinds of gods that they were worshiping. Also, the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols. Of which the Lord had said, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord was 
the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. Too often we are out there doing like others. And that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to be unique. God wants us to be his own people. Even today, the, the temptation is to become like the world wants us to become. But that's not, the, not God's way. So the reasons for Israel's fall were this. They would not hear. They would not listen to God. They had stiff necks. They rejected God's statutes and his covenant. And they followed after other gods. So in summary, this is what he's, he's saying about them. But they rejected God's statutes. They didn't follow after his commands and his covenant. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God made for themselves a molded image and two calves made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. They were in covenant with God. They were supposed to be unique. They were supposed to have something that set them apart from the rest of the world. And there was nothing. They adopted all the things of the rest of the world. And there was nothing anymore that distinguished them from the rest of the world. They rejected the covenant. Now, how far they had gone into that, whether they had gotten rid of all their practices. We know up in the northern area, they, they made priests of everyone. They got rid of all the other feast days. They made their own feast days, made their own uh, ways of worshiping God. They may have even left the circumcision. I don't know if they did that or not, but it would seem like, why would they hang on to that if they left everything else? And that was something that set them apart. Verse 19, also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he, tore, for he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by his servants the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. So at the time of this writing, they were still all in, in not really captivity. They were, just, they were dispersed. The southern nation of Judah would be taken into captivity. They would be preserved. But the northern ones were dispersed. And they're known as the lost tribes of Israel. That they, they just got mixed up with everybody else. And they're out there somewhere. And uh, they didn't keep their identity. But then he goes on in verse 24. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon... Katath, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, 
And indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there and let him teach them the rituals of the, the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So they all come in. They come into the land of which is becoming more known as the land of Samaria now instead of just uh, Israel. And lions come in. Why are the lions coming in and killing us? They, they, they didn't do this before. Now the lions are coming in and they, they determined that it's because we don't know the gods of the land. So we got to know what the gods of this land do. And they, they're taking God and they're putting him on the level of their idols. Our idols are gods over here. God is just God over here. He's not God over all. He's just God over here. And so we got to find out what he wants us to do so we can keep him happy. And so that's what they're basically doing. So here's their plan. They go to the king of Syria and they say, King, what are we going to do? We've we got to know what's going on. So the king of Assyria says, let's take one of the priests from the, uh, from the land of Israel that was taken into captivity. And let's bring them back. They're going to bring one. One guy. And he's going to come in and he's going to teach everybody what to do. Now, here's the problem. What happened to all the good priests in the northern tribes? They all went south. Every single one went, went south because they're not going to have a job up here in the north. They went down south. So all the good ones went down south. And so the ones who stayed are priests who are made of every tribe. These are priests who did uh, the service the way they set up the service, the way Jeroboam set it up for this false worship of Jehovah. They had the false uh, feast days, all these things. This is what these priests were doing. They went and they got a priest who was taken into captivity, not one of the ones from Judah who was still doing the things right, one of the ones who was doing things wrong. So they bring in a priest who was doing things wrong to come in and teach them how to do things right. But they don't know that they weren't doing everything wrong because they didn't go back to the word of God. They just got the priest in there, tell us what we're supposed to do. So one priest comes in and whatever he's off on, everyone's going to be off on. So can you see there might be a problem with this plan? Let's take a look at how it goes. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places, which the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities where they had dwelt. Is that anything different from what Israel did before? The men of Babylon made Sukkoth, Benoth, the men of Kuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the, and the Avites made, boy, I can't say that one, Nibhats and Tartak, and the Sepharavites burned their children in the fire to Adamelech and Adamelech, the gods of Sepharavim. They got some weird names there, I'll tell you. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places. What does that sound like? Sounds exactly like what Jeroboam had set up. Who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So once again, the high places are being used. The fear of the Lord yet served their, they feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. Well, are they truly fearing the Lord? No, but they say we're fearing the Lord. So we'll fear the Lord and we'll also sacrifice to all of our other gods. Can't do that. Can't serve God and serve all the other gods. That's uh, certainly brought out in the New Testament, other places in the Old Testament. To this day, they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances 
or the law and the commandments which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifices. And the statutes and the ordinance, the law and the commandment, which he wrote to you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear our other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget. Nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God, you shall fear. And he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. So he first says that they feared the Lord and served the other gods. Then he says, well, they didn't fear the Lord and they continued to serve the other gods. And then he concludes it here. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images, also their children and their children's children. Well, he's talking about it from their perspective. They're saying, we fear the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord, but we're also going to continue to serve our other gods. And he said, no, it, it doesn't work that way. Nor does it work that way today. We cannot serve the things that the world says are important and serve the things that, it, that God says are important. You can't do that. We've got to know what does God say is important. And we have to stand for that. Whether it is that you know, people hate us, whether it is that people want to rise up against us, whatever it might be, we still have to do it. That's fearing God. If we fear men more than we fear God, then we give in to man's principles. If we fear God more than we fear men, then we stay with God's principles. So it's just, it's just a matter of which one are we going to do? Which one are we going to stand on? And certainly these folks did this. And <clears throat> up in Jesus' day, you know, the big turmoil that was between those in the south, the Judah, and those in Samaria. They're, they didn't have a lot of good blood between them. They saw them as uh, mixed. There were still some Israelites that were in the land. And these other places, people were placed from Assyria. They were placed from Babylon. They were placed from all these other places that they conquered. And they put them in here and just settled them down. They took over houses. They took over cities that they didn't build. And they all just intermixed. And so that's why the folks in the south, in Jesus' day, they looked at those and despised the Samaritans. Because they served other gods and served and feared Jehovah. They didn't, uh, they didn't keep it separate. So that's one of the reasons that uh, so much tension was there between the, the two nations and why there was such a sharp divide between Samaria and Judah down in the southern country. But, of course, by the time they were there, Rome had conquered all those areas. And so you couldn't put up a roadblock and say, you cannot come into this country because Rome says, no, you can go anywhere. So the Jewish people could not say to the Samaritans, you're not allowed to come down here. So all they could do was make them feel unwelcome. So that's why they did and why they acted and, and uh, did some of the things that they had done. So Hosea comes in again. He says that this, this king was not as bad as the ones before. And yet he's the one that they fall under. <laughs> Doesn't that seem, I mean, why not take one of the more evil kings and have it fall under him? Why take the guy that you say in the Bible, he's not as bad as all the other ones. You know, Jeroboam, he wasn't quite as bad as all the other ones either. And uh, one other one wasn't quite as bad as all the other ones. Jehu 
wasn't quite as bad as all the other ones. But this particular one, he says, all right, he was evil, but not like the other guys. They were, uh, they were much more evil. So why have it fall now? And it simply goes back into Hosea's decisions. Even though you may be not as evil as people before, you made some, some bad decisions. And so some of his decisions was, first off, he aligned himself with Assyria. That's what got him to a place of power. And then he decided that when that king died, to rebel and to not pay him the tribute money. Now, we don't know what happened there. Did he not have the tribute money? Was it too much of a, of a taxing thing on the people? And everybody was about ready to break anyway? And we, we, we can't keep going on like this. This is too much tribute. Because I'm sure it was not an easy tribute. I'm sure it wasn't those, one of those things you just kind of just, ah, we can just go ahead and throw this out. It was probably a, uh, a harsh thing for them to have to do to support their own government. Plus, they had to support Assyria. So for whatever reason, he decided we're going to not do this anymore. Whether he just didn't like the new king, he didn't trust the new king, something was going on that he thought the new king was going to come down and take him out. Whatever it was, was something about the new king came in and he decided, I'm going to make my allegiance to the king down in uh, Egypt instead of the king over here in Assyria. And that decision proved to be not so good because he, he fell in that. And that's why he, it wasn't so much that he wasn't as, as, uh, as evil as the other ones. It was because he made a bad decision and he paid for it. Now, we never find out anywhere in here that he sought after the Lord, that he said, Lord, what should we do? Lord, should I go up and fight them? Never do we have that. Now, again, he didn't say that he was a God-fearing guy. He didn't say that he pursued God. It said he was not as evil as the ones that were prior to him. That's all that it really says. But no matter what, whether you're a decent person or not a decent person, you still have to seek after God. But most, most people today constantly look at their own life. How evil am I? Well, I'm, I haven't killed anybody. You know, I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't really done anything really bad. <laughs> well, that doesn't uh, seem to matter. And uh, who is that guy who used to go through the Ten Commandments with people? Meet him on the street? Um, we did them in the men's group one, one time. I can, Ray Comfort. Yeah, if you ever heard, never heard Ray Comfort go through the Ten Commandments, it's, he's outstanding on, on that kind of thing. Because by the time he gets done with you, you find out that you're a liar, cheater, murderer. <laughs> you go around down, you've done it all. And he says, <laughs> it's like, there's no hope for me at all. And then, of course, he comes in with the grace of God, so he does a nice job with, with that. But if you've never heard that, go up there and see if you can find Ray Comfort and uh, the Ten Commandments because he does an outstanding job of all those things. But Judah falls and they're taken captive and they are taken into to Babylon. I'm sorry, they're taken captive to Babylon and a bunch of other uh, uh, places. That I'm sorry, Judah falls. They're taken captive into Babylon with Assyria. They take them and they put them all over the place because that's their way of doing things. So if you are conquered by Assyria, your nation is pretty much destroyed. And that's what happened with Israel. Their nation is destroyed. They, they never are brought back again. The northern tribes never come back. But in Judah, we have a representation of all 12 tribes because when Judah separated and the northern tribes made their, their bit for the two um, golden calves, a bunch of people said, we don't want this. We want to keep on worshiping Jehovah. And so down in the southern tribes, they ended up with all 12 tribes down there in the south. 
So all 12 are represented in that one place, but all those who stayed up in the north, they're gone. They're gone. They're just kind of mixed in with everybody else. It's not that they died in the battle. It's just that they kind of just got mixed in. Their kids got mixed in with other kids and, and, and so forth. Well, why is it that, that Judah, because even in the passage, it tells us Judah is just as bad. Judah's going after the same thing. It may have taken a little longer to go out there and do all that, but they've gone after the same things. They brought in the same idolatry. They've done the same things that the northern tribes did. And yet Judah is preserved and Israel is dispersed. Well, there's a number of uh, factors that come into play for this. In the northern tribes, you never had a king that was called good. You had kings that were not as bad, but you never had a king that was called a God-fearing king. Jehu, you thought, was about your best hope. He seemed to honor God, but as soon as he got into the throne, it didn't seem like he did the things that he was supposed to have done. So they never have a God-fearing king on the throne, and the nation never pursues God. They always pursue the golden calves. They pursue these other things. And so they fall sooner than Judah does simply because they're in rebellion longer. And when they fall, it is Assyria that is the world-dominating world power. Now, if you're here, the, I think this Sunday we get into the uh, role that each seven empire had upon the nation of Israel. Each one had a role. And we're going to find that out on, uh, on the, the Sunday thing after class. So if you're here for that, you'll, you'll see that. Assyria had a role and Babylon had a role. And you'll see what their role was. Now, of course, that's not a role that the, the enemy did. The devil inspires these kingdoms to do destruction. But we're going to see that God's hand with it and God has a purpose that is accomplished with each one of these kingdoms. The devil didn't mean for it to be happening in that way, but God will bring it about. So, so Israel's dispersed. Southern tribes will not lose their identity. Well, it says in the, in the passage that the northern tribes, they worshipped other idols. They despised the commandments of God, the statutes of God, and they despised the covenant of God. When you despise the covenant of God, you lose your identity as the people of God. And you don't do the things that keep you separate. The things that God said you were, they were supposed to do to keep them separate was the circumcision. And they were not supposed to intermarry with other nations unless they became, um, you know, worshipped the, the, the Jewish God, Jehovah. Unless they came over and they did that, you were not allowed to marry. No, he didn't say you couldn't marry people from other nations. Because Moses even did. Moses married the Ethiopian woman. And others, uh, Ruth was from another, another nation. But if they turned their life over to God, then they were certainly uh, able to be, be brought on in there. But that's not what these folks are doing. They're intermarrying. They're mixing in with other folks, whether they're worshiping God or not, because they themselves are not worshipers of God. So they're losing their identity, whereas the southern tribe, Judah, they maintain their identity because being Jewish to them is important. Being Jewish to the northern tribes ended up not being important. Being, the God of Je being under the God of Jehovah to the folks in the south was still important. important. More important to some than others, but it was still important. Up in the north, it didn't matter. And so that's the reason that all this happened. It isn't that God said, all right, you guys, I don't like you. Get rid of you guys. And over here, we like you. We'll, we'll keep you guys. They didn't, they didn't preserve themselves. They didn't do the things that they had to do to preserve themselves. And God has given us things in his word to help us preserve ourselves and what we should do. He says, you know, stay in the word of God. Stay with the word of God. How many Christians do you know who don't even know what the word of God says? 
Don't you, you can you can quote scripture? Of course, they're out there quoting scripture. I just like it when politicians start quoting scripture. And you say that's not even in the Bible. What is that? <laughs> There's a one guy who quotes, quotes the you know people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Attribute that to the Bible. That's not in the Bible. But uh, they're they're ignorant of these things. And there's a lot of Christians that are very ignorant of the Bible. If you are ignorant of the Bible, then people can sell you on things that are in the Bible or sell you on things that are not in the Bible. And therefore, you will lose your identity and you will not be preserved. We've got to know what our identity is. We've got to know what God's will is. We've got to know what the world's view is. And we've got to make sure that we stay with it. The Word of God tells us that in the last times, Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist will be around. And that spirit will deceive many. And not just people in the world. It will deceive those in church. And it is amazing to me. Of course, it amazes me all the time. You know, you go, you watch those shows on TV and they go and they interview college students. We're not talking high school. We're talking college students. These are the people that are in the midst of learning. Who was the Revolutionary War against? How do you not know that? How do you get out of high school and not know who the Revolutionary War was against? It's, and the, the questions that they, I just, you want to laugh, but it's sad. These are supposed to be people that are going to eventually become leaders in the, in the world. <laughs> what are they doing? They don't even know this stuff. The, who's the President of the United States? Who's the Vice President of the United States? Who was the first President of the United States? All these kind of things. And um, even questions about the Civil War. Questions about World War One, World War II. They don't know the answers to them. If we don't know the answers of our history, we lose our identity as a nation. We lose our identity of, of things. And right now, you know, there's a lot of things that are unique to this nation that uh, they're working to take away. Totally take it, take it away. Most nations throughout history were under tyrants, or we're in some type of a socialistic government. Almost every single nation that you can go back and find were under tyrants or they were under some kind of socialized government. What was Israel under? It's under a tyrant. They had a king. They wanted to become like other kings, other nations around. So they became like other nations, then they had a king. And if you weren't, then you were under some kind of a political system that was uh, socialistic. The United States came along and we... We didn't know the Greeks formulated some of this, but I'll tell you what, we perfected. We did a much better job. The founding fathers went back to the word of God. They found some things in there and they built the whole nation out of this. And you all know the story of Thanksgiving. If you ever heard, never heard the true story of Thanksgiving, I'll give you some references and some places you can go and find this out. But Thanksgiving is not what they say. They try and teach people it is now that we're thanking the Indians for saving us and all that sort of stuff. That's garbage. That is not what happened on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, they are thanking God because the crops came in and because they had an abundance. Up until then, when, um, oh, I forget the guy whose name, who was the guy who made the first settlement. Forgot his name. Someone around here is going to be thinking about that. Anyway, if you go back to his journals, you will find out that the first method of, of operation that they did was a socialistic method. Everybody had a section of property, and everybody took what they got from that and put it into a big commune area, and everybody fed off of that. And they were starving. They were losing people. And so, um, begins with a B. Can't think of his name now. Um, anyway, he came up. He says, look, this is, this is not working. We're losing people. People are dying. This is what we're going to do. You have your section of land. Whatever you get off of it is yours. Because what happened was you had people who would work hard, and they weren't being rewarded for their work hard, working hard. And they had people who, who 
didn't work hard at all, and they were being strung along by the others. So he said, if you, uh, if you get an abundance, it's all yours. You can sell it, trade it, do whatever you want to with it, but it's all yours. And that's what turned it around. That's what made the whole nation begin the, to be formed. Because the people who worked hard got rewarded for it. And now that, that same type of government is being classified as unfair. Well, it's not fair that some people have more than others. I saw some, somebody posted it up on Facebook today, yesterday, something like that, that uh, you know, something along the lines of, until you get rid of unequal effort, there won't be unequal reward. Because <laughs> that's what it is. Some people work harder than other people do. And they're going to get more of a reward. It's just how it ought to be. Of course, we're trying to get it so that it's, that it's not. But anymore, we have a lot of people that are supported by the, the government, which basically means the people. So you're going out to work. If you have a job, if a husband and wife, if you both have jobs, they're going out to work, you know, so much of a percentage, 20, 30% go out to support people who are sitting at home. They're on welfare or on different things and could be working. Just as easier for them to stay at home than it is to, to go out and to work. But, you know, we've got all these, all these um, people out there. They're trying to make you think, you know, big oil. Big oil is bad. Big oil is bad. They're, they're, they're evil. They're just trying to go after the profit. And that's the most garbage thing in the world. I mean, how, what would happen if we didn't have oil companies who were willing to take their money and invest in drilling a big oil rig off the coast somewhere, face hurricanes and all kinds of other storms, and drill for that oil? And if it works, they get money off of it. If it doesn't, they lose all the money. What would we do without people who went out there and, and tried to find some more of this, this stuff and then went and refined it all and then processed it so that you had heating oil, so that you had uh, jet fuel, so that you had gasoline, so that you had stuff to, to, to burn? What would happen if we went over to the gas station? Well, we don't have any gas. This, this wouldn't be a good thing. You know, thank God for a big supermarket so that you can just go into the giant and the... the the whatever one you go to, shop right, whatever it might be, walk in and the, the whole thing is full. There's stuff to buy. You go over to some of the socialistic countries and they don't have stuff in there. In the Soviet bloc countries, you know, they would get a delivery of meat. Well, if they got a delivery of meat, you went out and you got meat. You didn't matter if you needed meat. You went and got it because you don't know when it's going to be available again. The, the shelves were empty. They didn't have stuff to sell. That's what the socialistic side of it did. When the uh, curtain fell, you had uh, countries on the, the eastern side of the curtain, and they were making cars. And the, the East German cars were nothing like the West German cars. And the East German cars that they made, they went out of business. How many remember you go? Yeah. They, uh, I, was, I worked at a car dealership for one year, and we sold Fords. And we sold Subarus and we sold Yugos. 90% of what we sold were Fords. The other 10% were in the Subaru range and we had some Yugos in there too. And then they would tell us, you know, they would advertise the Yugo, $99 a month and all this sort of stuff. And they said, nobody will qualify for this. No one out there. The only way that anybody can leave here with a Yugo is if they have a room on their credit card. Because there's no bank that would finance it. Because when they drive off, half the value of that car was already gone. And they were terrible cars. They could not survive. In, in a, because this, it was a socialistic 
government. That they didn't have to put out a good quality. They didn't have to compete. They just made stuff. And people had to buy it because that was all that was there. And we come over here to this country and if you make a good product, it sells. If you make a bad product, it's out. And people are trying to make that sound evil and sound bad. It's not evil and it's not bad. It's in the Bible. If you do something good, if, it's a, if you have good weights and good measures, people will buy from you. If you have an inferior product, people won't buy from you. God even tells you in the Bible, be honest. Give a good product. Work hard. Put in a good day's work. But you see, we've got this, this pressure coming on because we want the, the world to go back into a socialistic government. The United States has tried to push for our, our viewpoint of, of how economies ought to go to other places. And some places have adopted it. And some places have, have prospered off of it. Some places have, have decided to reject it and to go into their own, own direction. But we've got people, leaders in this country, who want to take us back into that socialistic type of a, of a way saying that it's fair. Generally, the only ones who make money in a socialistic government are the people in power. And they bring everyone else down. That's their, uh, that's their goal. We, I put up on Facebook, I think uh, some um, weeks, months ago, uh, the little thing with um, Margaret Thatcher. And she was debating a, a, a liberal person in, their, in her Senate there. Boy, she was uh, eloquent. She was good about that. And her whole idea was that you... Uh, you are a socialist. You want to take people and you want to lower their standard and get everybody more equal by lowering everybody down. He says, we don't want to do that. We want to raise everybody up. And if the top is, is a greater difference from the one at the bottom, but we've raised the bottom one up higher, how much better is that? <laughs> yeah, that's good. But you see, we, we want to adopt and we want to become like other nations. And this is what the pressure is on. And we're going to see more pressure like this for our country to adopt and become more like other nations. Because for what Antichrist wants to do in the end times, it's going to be a whole lot better if we are more like other nations. And so that's where the pressure is going to be. Other nations in, the, uh, in their viewpoint on marriage. Other nations in their viewpoint on abortion. Other nations in their viewpoint on guns. And other nations in their viewpoint on murder. Other nations and their viewpoints on all these different things. We don't want to be like other nations. We, want to be, we are a nation that was founded on the principles of God's word. We are not a nation that was founded on religious freedom. We were a nation that was founded on the freedom to worship God. They allowed other religions to come in and to worship. But we are founded on the principle of freedom to worship God. And if you wanted to worship God as a Protestant, if you wanted to worship God as a Catholic, if you wanted to worship God however you wanted to worship God, but it was a nation that was built on the freedom to worship God. Jehovah God. Israel got away from what made them distinctive to the point that they didn't care about it anymore. They didn't defend it. And the reason they were dispersed and the reason they were put into a place was they did not care. They despised the covenant they had with God. Can you imagine that? God made a covenant with you and you tossed it aside like it was nothing. And yet Christians will do this today. We are also in covenant with God. We have a covenant with our Father. And yet many can just toss it aside and treat it as if it was nothing. Well, we understand that the Word of God says this, but we have to modernize the Bible some. There's other things that are happening. And the pressure will come in to, to relinquish some of these things. 
Can't do it. Cannot do it. We got to stand for those things that are right. I put in your outline most of our greater punishments or loss, punishments or losses are a result of our own disregard of what God commanded. Many times we look at the things we lost and say, how come God let this happen? But most times it's because we disregarded something and we, we tossed something aside. God says this is important. You look at Christians, you, the Bible says don't forsake your assembling of yourselves together. And yet they have forsaken their assembling of themselves together and fellowship in front of their TV for church for a while. And then after a while, that's too much. We can't even have that going on. The Word of God says don't be unequally yoked. And yet how many Christians will go out there and say, well, all right, they're not a Christian yet, but they will be. And what happened with Israel when they became unified with people who were Solomon, married foreign women, who worshipped other gods. What happened to the wisest man in the world? He fell. When God gives us a principle, if we disregard it, what we lose is no one's fault but our own. We have got to hang on to those things that are important. And what Israel shows us, Israel lost their land. They lost their identity. They lost their freedom. And they're totally lost. They're known as the lost tribes of Israel because They disregarded the covenant. They disregarded his commands. They brought in other gods to worship. They worship God in their own way. Well, I know God says we ought to do it this way, but I think anybody can be a priest. I know God says these are the feast days, but I think we can make any day that we want to a feast day. And that's not what we are to do. Most people blame God for their calamity. It's those that are humble that will take charge and say, no, it was my fault. And God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Israel never humbled themselves. There's not a single time in the northern tribe Israel's history where they humbled themselves before God and said, God, we repent, we're sorry, we did it wrong. There are a number of times that the southern tribe did. But never do we see it in the north. And they disregarded all these things. We have got to hold in high regard everything that God has taught us in his word. And no matter what pressure we feel from the world, no matter what pressure we feel from other places, we must not give in. Even at work, the places where we have employment, the places where we're at, how much pressure can be on? Well, if you do things like these people did, you'll get ahead. But what's God say? Don't do it. Don't do it. Hold true to the things that God says to do. Yeah, but if you do that, you'll not get ahead. (laughs) Yeah, well, what are we going to do? What do we hold close to us? What would we hold dear? The northern tribes despised for all their years that they were a nation, despised the things that God said were important. Don't let go of what you know to be important. Is faith important? Is hope important? Is the things that you say with your mouth, are they important? Is staying in the Word of God important? Meditating on the Word of God, is that important? Is knowing what the Word of God has to say about a topic, is that important? Is seeking after God and His direction in whatever it is that you undertake, is it important? If these things ever become less important to us and we despise them and put them down, 
and don't press into them the way we should. We can go the exact same way as the northern nations did and be lost from memory. But their punishment was not because God decided that they deserved a stricter punishment. The punishment was brought on by themselves in what they held dear and what they despised. Don't ever despise the things that God says are important, even if it doesn't quite seem to be working the way that you think. Hang on to those things. It is better to die faithful to the principles of God than to forsake those things and prosper. Father, we thank you for your word and the things you teach us in it. We do not want to make the mistakes of those who have in the past. But we don't want to learn from history. We want to learn the right history. And we want to learn the right lessons so that we don't repeat them. We don't make the same mistakes. The times might be different, but the obstacles and the enemy, they're all the same. And we know, Father, that even in these last days, we can overcome if we hold true to those things that you told us in your word. If we honor your commands and don't despise your covenant, but stay to being unique from all the other people here on this earth. We are Christians and we follow after the true God. We thank you, Father, that you have brought us to a place of truth. And the enemy wants to try and pollute that truth so that what we are left hanging on to is not the truth at all. Keep us in your path of light as we continue to honor the things that are in your word and continue to learn. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.